0: Thank you for joining us for episode 376 of Live Happy Now. Bullying is a huge issue for kids today, and as we go back to school, many children are dreading having to face that challenge every day. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm having a very important conversation with Jennifer Fraser, author of the powerful new book, The Bullied Brain. Jennifer is an award winning educator whose online courses and workshops teach the impact of neuroscience on personal development and culture change. In her latest book, she breaks down how bullying affects our brains. And more importantly, she tells us how to help heal our brains from that trauma. Jennifer, thank you so much for being a guest on Live Happy Now.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Paula. Thanks for having me.
0: We are kicking off our eighth season today, and I thought this is. Absolutely. The way we need to start this new season out because this is such an important topic. Everyone has dealt with it or is dealing with it on some level. So as we look at bullying, let's go back and start about what made you so interested in learning what bullying does to our brains.
1: I'm an academic, so I have a PhD in comparative literature, and we are trained when we do comp let, we call it, when we're trained to do it, the idea is you take different discourses, different languages even, and cultures, and ways of thinking, lenses on the world, and you take them out of their silos. So you pull out all this expert knowledge, you put into the arena, and you see how it changes the conversation by having this kind of a dialogue. So that's my, my training, my mentality. It's what I do. And I was teaching at a private school in Canada, and I heard directly from a parent, and then I ultimately was asked by the headmaster of the school to take student testimonies about how they were being treated, because there was all kinds of parents, there was all sorts of upheaval about a small, very small number of teachers at the school who were using really abusive tactics. So I ended up sitting in front of these eight students and doing all the sort of legal recording of their testimony. You don't. I mean, you just ask them questions, they speak, you write it down, you send it to them and say, is this accurate? And then you give them the choice because you have to empower the child. Do they want to speak up publicly about this or was it just for therapy? Well, every single one of those students wanted it to go to the headmaster so that he could protect other students from the abuse and he could make positive change. And another person who's a lawyer also took testimony. So by the end of it, there was testimonies in the teens about what was happening. And it was essentially... It was emotional abuse and some physical abuse. So lots of threatening, aggressive behaviors, homophobic slurs to the boys, lots and lots of put downs and swearing, yelling in the face, detaining for, you know, if the child tried to get away from being yelled at in the face, that the teacher would grab him and hold him in for more. Well, at a certain point in these testimonies and listening to these Boys talking about what was happening to them. I did four girls and four boys, but when I was listening to the boys, I started getting kind of a sick feeling in my stomach. And I finally asked one of them, he said, Yeah, the treatment with this one boy that was, you know, he would over and over again, he'd publicly humiliate him, he'd yell in his face. And we wanted to stop it, but we couldn't because it was a teacher and he was vicious. And I finally said, Well, who is the boy? And the student answered, Monty. And Monty's my son.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So he's my 16-year-old son at this time. So then let's cut back to, I've got a PhD in comparative literature. I was not going to listen to the headmaster when he told me that this is just old school coaching and not a big deal and all these kinds of things. I I realized, no, this, this might actually be really serious. So I did a deep dive into the research And I looked at the psychology, I looked at the law, I looked at education, I looked at psychiatry, and I was hearing loud and clear that this is incredibly unhealthy, especially for a young person, a developing person to be treated this way by someone in a position of extreme power over them. You know, a teacher has the power to tell a student what their value is. They have the power to open doors for students into the future, into you, into college. I mean, it's really was significant. And then I hit the neuroscience. And when I hit the study of the brain and all of the research, that I didn't know as a teacher. I, I hadn't heard this. I, I've taught at university level, college level, private schools. I had never heard anything about this. And the research is replicated, extensive, consensus building. The neuroscientists know that this type of treatment that does not touch the body, really, except for the detaining, it's not bruising or breaking the body, it's bruising and breaking the brain. And that's. Yeah, let's why- talk
0: about that. What? Because yeah. you have done a dive like I have never seen into what bullying is doing to us physically, emotionally. Talk about what's happening inside our brains when we are subjected to bullying.
1: Well, I mean, I work very closely with one of the world's leading neuroscientists, Dr. Michael Merzenich, and I include him all throughout the book, The Bullied Brain, because he guided me a lot in terms of understanding, you know, when you're reading neuroscientific research, you have to understand, for example, that When the the study is all about, let's say, the corpus callosum, the corpus callosum is the part of the brain, it's like a bundle of fibers, and it's the part of the brain that connects the left and the right hemisphere. Well, a particular neuroscientific study that looks at bullying and abuse and verbal abuse and how it actually, the expression is, demyelinates the corpus callosum. That means it erodes the insulating on this part of the brain that that allows the electrical communication to be very, very high speed and very efficient. Well, we all want to have high speed, very efficient brains. And if bullying and abuse are part of your life, they're eroding the connection in your brain that allows that. But what Dr. Michael Merznik explained to me, which is so important, the researchers are only looking at that one part of the brain for the research. It doesn't mean that there aren't all kinds of other damages occurring to the brain. So depending on what study you read, they're looking at different aspects of the brain, different neural networks, different components, and how they're being damaged, and they are being
0: damaged. And is, is that kind of damage different than what you see with physical abuse, or is it similar?
1: it's really, I have a whole section in the book where I I try to sort of unpack that. Because for example, a girl who's been sexually abused, parts of the brain and the brain maps that have to do with the sexual organs of her body will demonstrate the abuse. A child that's repeatedly physically abused will have damage done to the prefrontal cortex, it's called. And it's, it's the part of the brain that, I mean, the entire brain works as an organic whole. So when we talk about single components it's sort of artificial because it works together as a whole but for the sake of conversation and understanding for all of us lay people the prefrontal cortex is is tasked with or involved with a lot of executive functions it's called the ceo of the brain well if you are striking a child i mean just the pain the humiliation the trauma to that child is causing the part of the brain that regulates behavior and allows the child to make good decisions and keeps the child aware and conscious and empathic. That's the part of the brain you're damaging. So every time you strike that child, you're causing them to behave less well.
0: Wow. And so then when you combine the emotional abuse of bullying, the verbal abuse of it with this physical abuse, what happens to the child's brain?
1: Well, this is the most important aspect of the book, because first of all, I became, as I explained, very concerned about harm being done to the brain. Well, then my next question was, if the brain can be this badly harmed, you know, if you can have a brain that's really like when you look on a brain scan, you can see evidence of the harm done to the brain from all forms of abuse, including neglect including institutions denying and dismissing that the bullying or the abuse has occurred. These sorts of things are very damaging. I really was, so concerned that I started to ask myself the question, well, what do you do? I mean, can you get better? How do you heal the brain? And just as much extensive research the neuroscientists have on the damage done to the brain, they also have found out that the brain is remarkably adept at healing. You have to know you're injured. First of all, it's it's an invisible injury, like a concussion. You have to know it's serious. You have to know you're injured. And then you need to put into practice a very practical, applicable, not expensive, not challenging per se program that's grounded in evidence. So that's why in the book I build in with every single chapter I build in, okay, so we know this damage has happened. Here's what you need to do. This is what the neuroscience shows you can do daily in your life to make your brain healed, repaired, and very high performing.
0: Yeah. So how is the way we're dealing with bullying as a society falling short? Because clearly it's not working kids are still getting bullied. And and in a second, I want to talk about the difference between being bullied by peers and bullied by adults and go down that hole a little deeper. But we talk so much about bullying. It's a problem, but it feels like at this point, it's just talk. The
1: problem is the way we approach it is backwards. So if we want to stop global warming, or if we want to stop hunger in the world or economic disparity we are not gonna succeed at it by looking at child populations. Child populations have no power. So looking at them to say, we're gonna solve the bullying problem by wringing our hands about the fact that children treat each other this way is backwards. If we want to stop bullying, if we want to understand it, we have to look at the very kind of painful and difficult fact that children's brains are born wired with empathy. The child's ability to survive by evolution has been wired into the brain to understand who the powerful people are in the world that are in the child's world. What do their facial expressions mean? What is the tone of voice? What about the gestures? What is this person feeling? What are they thinking? And what are they intending? That's the only way a helpless baby can grow up and survive into adulthood. So we have to ask the painful question, how is it possible that so many children's empathy system in their brains, their empathy network, their mirror neuron system, why is it so damaged? So that this child is raising the red flag of the beginning signs of mental illness in the fact that they are not comfortable, happy, curious, creative. They're not engaging healthily in social emotional relationships with their peers. They are trying to construct an identity by harming someone else. That is the first sign of mental illness right there. And we have incredibly mentally ill child and youth populations. I'm going to share one other really painful statistic, and I'm sorry I'm sorry for your listeners. They have to hear this, but it's also the most empowering thing they can hear because we have to have an honest conversation about this. Youth suicide has increased from 2000 to 2018,
0: 57%. Wow. I mean, we know it's up. We, we hear that suicides are up with young people, but I had no idea it was that extreme. It's extreme.
1: And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will still be beating the drum of you have to bully kids to to achieve greatness. You have to put them down. You have to humiliate them. You have to hit them. You know, they've got to toughen them up for a tough world. And they think they're doing the right thing. And what I would say to those people is if you want to believe that and if you want to do that, go ahead. It's just that there's not one single research study that backs that approach. There's not one single research piece out there study that says, if you humiliate and harm and ostracize and bully and verbally yell in the face and swear and call homophobic slurs to football players or soccer players or any of these, these athletes, even they're not going to get better. They're not going to be high performers and they're not going to succeed. All you're doing is damaging their brain. So, you know, we've got to change.
0: So how did that be, Become a norm because we know it's in the military. We know it's in coaching. Even at the the young child level, you see coaches yelling at the kids, uh, using just really negative <laughs> reinforcement to try to get them to to perform better. How did that become a practice that we see throughout society?
1: The issue with bullying and abuse is it's cyclical and it's infectious. So when you watch an adult behaving that way that adult is mentally ill. And it's really, really unfortunate that they are infecting more and more children year after year. And this is how bullying is now an epidemic. You have to think about it like a virus. If you've got the virus where you need to take powerless children and scream at them and put them down and humiliate them, while at the same time you're believing that this is helpful, you've got a real disconnect. One of the things I say to coaches where I say to employers, if they have bullying issues in their department, a quick way as an adult, you can check your behavior is to say, if I'm treating children that way on the soccer field, do I also treat my athletic director that way? Do I yell in the face of the athletic director and expect that it's going to enhance his performance? And if I don't, why is that? Do I put down my friends and colleagues and other adults? Do Do I yell at them and and humiliate them? And if I don't, why not? Because if I believe it's a, an effective practice, I should be using it with people that are more powerful than me, my peers and children. And you I see, this is where it starts that. to break down.
0: <laughs> yeah. And is there a difference in the way children react if they're being bullied by peers or bullied by adults, like within their brains? does it? Is there any differentiation?
1: Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great question. The research shows that Children being bullied by peers suffer terribly. It's really damaging, just like when adults are bullying them. Now, there might be neuroscientific nuances. And plus, you know, you can't make these generalized statements about brains because every single one of us Has a brain as unique as our fingerprints. So this is why, you know, one brain might react in one way and another brain might react in another way. So you can never say, oh, this is exactly what's gonna happen. You know, you might be able to more easily say that with a broken bone. But with a brain that's being harmed, it's more unique. So they are very clear though, the researchers, they have extensive research that shows that peer bullying is also extremely harmful to the brain. What happens is, just to put it in kind of sort of terms that I think we all understand. If you're a child and you know that you're going to go into a classroom or out onto the field or onto the, the court or to Boy Scouts or to the church or to see a particular doctor, and you know that individual is abusive, whether it's a child or an adult, you start to pump up the stress response system. You activate your sympathetic nervous system unconsciously. It's your it's your brain and body's way to keep you safe. But the way the brain has evolved, it anticipates. You know, you're telling your brain with all kinds of feelings in your body of anxiety. You're telling your brain that there's a predator. Your brain is starting to panic. It's starting to figure out ways to get you out of there. So it's pumping out adrenaline and cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Totally healthy, totally normal. But it's designed to get you away. Either to run away, flight, to fight the predator, or to freeze in place and not be seen. And so these reactions, if they are repeated and constant, like every time you go home, your parent is putting you down and humiliating you and yelling at you. If you have that, you know, you go to school and you know that this kid is going to target you out on the field every single day. You are activating your system over and over and over again. Well, the research shows, and it's done by medical doctors in the late 1990s, the research shows that this, and it's being confirmed in neuroscience, cortisol dismantles and erodes all kinds of important aspects of the brain. It's really, really harmful. And our kids have got cortisol pumping 24-7 because of the conditions in which they're expected to grow up.
0: We're going to take a break from this fantastic conversation with Jennifer to have another fantastic conversation, and it's also about the brain. And that's with Casey Johnson, our e-commerce marketing manager. You have something that's kind of given your brain a little boost here lately.
2: I have, and it is called Magic Mind. It's a matcha-based energy shot infused with adaptogens designed to tackle procrastination, brain fog, and fatigue. I'm constantly in and out of meetings and juggling multiple projects. And ever since I incorporated magic mind, my morning routine, it's drastically improved my attention and my focus without all the jitters from coffee. It's basically like my brain goes into super focused mode and I can definitely tell a huge difference in my productivity and cognition levels when I don't drink it in the morning.
0: Oh, that's so cool. So what is it that makes it so special?
2: Yeah. So not only does it increase productivity, it also supports immune health since it contains vitamin C, vitamin D and turmeric.
0: So <laughs> tell us how we get in on this deal. Yes.
2: Yeah, so you can save 20% on your first purchase at magicmind.co slash live happy. That's Magic MagicMind, m a g i c m i n d M A G I C M I N D.co slash live happy. And you'll just use code LIVEHAPPY20 at checkout to get that 20% off. Fantastic. Casey, that's great to hear. And
0: now we're going to go back to talking with Jennifer. I hear stories, I see stories on the news where parents say, Yes, we knew he was being bullied. We talked to the school about it. They didn't do anything. And, you know, the parents' argument is like, he has to go to school. Is that the right thing? If a child is being bullied by a teacher, by, students. What is the parental response? What's the correct parental response to protect their child? Well,
1: one of the things that I would love to see happen is I'd like to see schools First of all, ensure that every single adult, it can't be 99% of the adults and then you go to one particular classroom or one particular session and the adult is a very abusive one because it only takes one abusive adult to cause all the cortisol, all the anxiety, the depression, the eating disorders, the substance abuse, blah, blah. It only takes one. So you can have the most wonderful school, but if you're enabling and protecting and covering up for one or two teachers that terrorize the students on a regular basis, then you've got a huge problem because every adult at the school has to role model empathy. They have to role model compassion and they have to teach it. They've got to be activating that neural network over and over and over again. As often as they teach math, as often as they teach geography, kids need to learn social, emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion. And then when you've got a child who's bullying, you've got a population of children who would look at that child with a kind of like, a regret and a sadness and concern, and they would go and report, not I'm being bullied. They would go and report to the principal or the teacher or the high school counselor. You know what? I'm really upset and worried because so-and-so is demonstrating publicly that they're mentally ill.
0: Wow. How, but that's a huge shift to turn around. How do you start getting that in the society? Because again, like I said, we talk about it, but we're, to your point, we're doing it backwards. We're not taking the proper steps. So how do you get through to schools and how do you make this a common practice where bullying is not normalized?
1: Well, I mean, this is my goal. This is my mission with the book. So the bullied brain, heal your scars and restore your health. Every single reader that reads that book recognizes that bullying is not a moral issue. It's not about blaming and shaming. It's not about disciplining the individual. It's about a medical crisis. And we have to start working on the healing. We have to work on the repair of the perpetrators of bullying behaviors, especially children and also the adults. The brain is remarkable at healing, it can be rehabilitated. You know, we tear our ACL, we wreck our shoulder, we hurt our knee and we start a rehabilitation program. Same thing, if we're an alcoholic or a drug abuser, we go off for six weeks and we get reprogrammed so that we can come back and be healthy and contribute to the community and be part of our family. This can happen with bullying and abusive brains. It's really hard work. I don't want to make it sound like it's a quick fix or a instant gratification kind of experience because it's not. It's really hard work. It's like getting in physical shape. If you're very, very out of shape, it's damn hard work to get back in shape it takes discipline and belief and commitment and support you need a really great coach you need a personal trainer you need a team that believes in you but you can do it cut to six months your whole body looks different it's stronger more resilient and more high performing the identical thing happens when you do the correct brain training practices
0: how do we do this with children How do we implement this? How do we make people aware? And where do you start getting help for a child whose brain has been traumatized by bullying?
1: Well, I think the absolute starting place is people have to get knowledgeable about their brains. They have to understand that all forms of bullying and abuse and neglect do incredible damage to the brain and take it seriously in that regard. Once they get knowledgeable, I mean, knowledge is power. And my book is designed to empower people. It's to inspire them. We've all grown up, we adults, for the most part, the vast majority of us, not even thinking about our brains. Our doctor doesn't look at our brain. We we get our teeth checked every year or every six months, but nobody's checking our brain health. They're not looking at our brain performance until there's a disaster, like a traumatic brain injury or dementia or something. No one looks at our brains and we don't either. So the starting place is if we want kids to change, if we want to keep them healthier, if we want them to understand that mental health is predicated on organic brain health, then we've got to get knowledgeable about our brains. And it's really exciting information. It's, I mean, people have said and sort of laughingly that They find my book is, even though it's about science, it's a total page turner because (laughs) it's about a normal person who's just suddenly discovered her brain and discovered that bullying is really hurtful and then is strategizing on, okay, what can we do? And so I think all of us can get behind this movement. As you know from reading the book, Paula, I set it up as a revolution. This is a scientific revolution. We have to stop being a society that doesn't look at our brains and forgets about them because we can't see it. We need to start really working to align our brains first. It's like on the plane, you know, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can take care of the kids. So we adults, we general readers, we got to read and know about our brains. Then we can do new curriculum for kids. We can build in brain curriculum. Every single child from the age of five on getting more and more sophisticated as they grow up through the school system should be learning about their brains because it gives them so much possibility and hope. And once they learn that they can they can rewire their brain, they can change their behavior, they can strengthen their brain. I mean, one of the things I love to share with parents, because I get a lot of coaching, consulting with abusive coaching, I'm sorry to report, but one of the things I, I want parents to understand is they've been sold the false bill of goods, to use Mike, Dr. Michael Merzenich's terms, they've been sold the false bill of goods that bullying is a necessary evil. Abuse is a necessary evil to achieve greatness. So they allow their children right in front of them to be totally mistreated by adults. And the superstar athletes in our world, like Tom Brady, Tom Brady does daily brain training. He doesn't get yelled at. No one screams obscenities at him. He's not put down. No one uses homophobic slurs with him. No, he does daily brain training. And he also does daily physical fitness with a really dedicated personal trainer and guess what at 44 he's still competing with 22 year old brains and bodies and outperforming them so this is the change we need to make and adults have to lead the charge we need our coaches our teachers our parents our school curriculum designers our ministry of education they've got to get informed i think parents have got to really work together and really work with the coach and kids as well, you need to have a team meeting. You need to say, just a second, coach, you don't speak to me that way. So why do you speak to my child that way? You've got a lot of power and trust with that child and you're abusing that really sacred trust. So what's going on here for you? Cause I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's healthy for you. And I don't think it's really not healthy for the kids. And you know, there's no reason that it has to be this kind of blame and shame. I mean, if, if a coach is abusing chances are good they're an abuse victim and it becomes a cycle. It's infectious. It's like a virus. And it just is spreading throughout society. We live in a society that is so normalized bullying that we elect people into positions of power or they take very public positions of power, blatantly demonstrate bullying behaviors. And everyone just sort of nods and and looks the other way. They're not held accountable. What do you think our children believe they believe that you're not allowed to bully during childhood. You won't be allowed, you'll get in trouble for it, but actually it gives you power and prestige when you become an adult.
0: Yeah, that is the message that we've been sending. I think it's permeated every area of our culture and that includes with adults. As I was reading this book, I thought there are so many people who, are, who probably haven't thought of themselves as being bullied as children, but as they're reading this book, I think a lot of bells are gonna start ringing for them where it's like, okay, that really was abusive. That wasn't normal. So that's one, one of the great things about your book. I think people are going to recognize, even if they're reading this for their, to help their children, they're gonna recognize themselves and start working on their own damage. And the other thing is adults still being bullied. We see this in the workplace, like with whether it's a coworker, someone who's in a position of authority, we still see this happening. So how does this continue into adulthood?
1: Well, I think the key word to the whole thing for all of us is fear. Our brains are very, very afraid of being driven into the outgroup. That, again, is an evolutionary part of our brains. Our brains want to belong. Our brains are wired with social meanings. Social connection is more important to our brain than food and shelter. So we all know, children and adults, we know children know this very early, and it only intensifies as you grow up, that if you dare to speak up, if you dare to refuse maltreatment, if you dare to call out the coach, if you dare to say to your boss, just a second, do not speak to me that way. You have no right to put me down. I'm doing the best I can. I would like you to address me with respect and empathy and compassion. No one's going to do that because we know that if you dare to come up against an aggressive individual like that, they will drive you into the out group. They will get the team of people who benefit from them all the time, who might not even deserve the benefits that they get, the favorites. Those people are all carefully positioned by abusive individuals to stand up and defend them in their maltreatment. They don't necessarily want to, but they also benefit from it. So this this is why when you see an abusive individual, the three key components of it are favoritism. Favoritism is a key. Those are your defenders, no matter what you do to people these are the people that benefit. So favoritism, fear, and humiliation. The brain can't bear humiliation. It's a terrible experience. And so what happens in the workplace is, and again, let's look at these people that are the favorites. What they're doing is identifying with the aggressor. And this is what a coach, if you're watching a coach or a teacher or a parent be a huge aggressive bully with children or teenagers, really what they're showing you is that there's nothing that frightens them more of being on the victim side. They were there probably during their childhood growing up and it was excruciatingly painful. No one wants to be the weak, vulnerable victim. So adults can't wait until they get into the power position and then they can identify with the aggressor and they can express all this aggression out against anyone who's in their power, whether it's an adult in the workplace because they've risen up the ranks to be the, the boss or it's children. And so this pattern is really what we have to unpack as a society. And we have to stop repeating this broken record of how we mistreat one
0: another. So if you are being mistreated, what's the way to respond? Because even understanding it is one thing. That's a great step. But then what do I do with this information? How do I then respond to that person who's mistreating me at work?
1: You have to be very proactive in an organization. Once you are part of the organization, there needs to be, just like we talked about with learning other things, if you are going to bring in new technology to your organization, you can bet there's going to be a bunch of training sessions. There's going to be meetings. There's going to be discussions. There's going to be rules up on the wall to remind you of exactly how it has to be. and When rules or, or systems or if there's breakdown, well, then you have another meeting. You get everyone together and you do another training session until you've changed to be adapted to the new technology, you can do the same thing with culture. There are wonderful, practical, applicable, easy to do every single day, things we can do. And that, and I mean, that's what's all in the book and we don't have time to go into the research in our conversation, but I'll just say in short form, what I did myself actually, because I have a very traumatized brain and I set myself on the path of healing and recovery by doing these practices. And one of the most amazing ones is Dr. Michael Merzenek, who's the he's referred to as the father of neuroplasticity he's probably one of the most awarded most significant scientists alive today he's American I feel like adding to that he's an American of course because I <laughs> admire, admire <laughs> American fantastic. oh I love I love American like fiery openness to change you know like revolutionary style and that that kind of like We don't have to be this way. We can reinvent. Like, I like that energy and he really exudes it. And so he's just this brilliant neuroscientist and he took on the bullied brain as a a passion project. You know, he really didn't need to spend time going through every single word and every single research reference and making sure that it was perfect and dialoguing with me endlessly about it. And so, you know, I love having his voice in the book. And he said at the end, he said, you know, this is scientifically the most thorough treatment of this subject On planet Earth. And that goes to show you right there. I do not have a science brain. My brain is literature. But when I needed to save my son, when I needed to protect my students, I put heart and soul into making my brain learn a bunch of new material. And lo and behold, it learned it. Our brains are incredible at change and development and high performance. It's amazing, really. And it's
0: exciting. And we can all do it. That's terrific. Jennifer, you have given us so much to look at, think about, and you've given us a lot of hope too. It's tragic, but it's also, there's so much hope in your book that we can change this. And there's also a great awareness that you're creating. So what you're doing, the work that you're doing is absolutely magnificent. I thank you for what you're doing to help change our our bullying culture and love the book. And and I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about it.
1: Well, we had a, a fantastic conversation because you are a wonderful interviewer and I'm so thankful Paula to speak with you and to share with your audience, my passion for the brain and my hope for the future.
0: That was Jennifer Fraser, author of the powerful new book, the bullied brain talking about the impact of bullying on our brains and how to help them heal. If you'd like to learn more about Jennifer's work, check out her books, her research, or follow her on social media. Just visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. And as you know, it is time to go back to school. And at the Live Happy Store, that means it's time for a back-to-school sale. Right now, we're offering 20% off our merch when you use the code HAPPYLEARNING at the Live Happy Store. Whether you want to stock up on our adorable mop-top pens, our super popular positive sticky notes, or grab a gratitude journal to start every day with a positive thought, you can find it all at 20% off. Just visit our store at livehappy.com and remember to use the code HAPPYLEARNING. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.